right. Hello, everyone, and happy Friday. Welcome to an early evening, an early Friday evening episode of Crypto with English. I'd like to warmly welcome Naja Roberts today. She's the Chief Visionary Officer of the Crypto Blockchain Plug. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this phrase, wouldn't it have been great to have learned X, Y, and Z during high school? Often, financial literacy is the one that comes up. Well, her platform, the Crypto Blockchain Plug, is a platform that provides a multitude of different learning modules for people who are interested in blockchain and cryptocurrency. Essentially summarizing it like an outline and breaking things down into you know, digestible, understandable you know, bits and pieces. Because frankly speaking, that's really the best way to learn. So, you know, since blockchain is not going anywhere, neither is cryptocurrency, blockchain and cryptocurrency are going to be part of our financial literacy as we, you know, as time goes on. And in fact, for those, um, for those who have kids, especially I have a four-year-old, I would want my son to start learning this, you know, subject matter in school. So I might just have to give a uh, Naja a call, you know, and, and sign him up whenever he's ready. So Naja, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. You know, I always talk about, you know, having a, a kind of forum or a kind of venue where people can learn and digest things in an understandable way. So, you know, if you want people, if you want mass adoption to happen in this space, you can't essentially be taking a traditional textbook approach, beating people over the head with it, just throwing out dense terms and not really providing a lot of articulation or context for things. So I think what you're doing with crypto blockchain plug is absolutely Great. So what made you come up with this idea? So traditionally, uh, I come from the financial services industry. And so I just decided uh, really a long time ago while I was looking at the different financial services platforms, you know, a lot of people are winning, but then there's a whole lot of other people that are not winning in the space. And right. so I was really trying to figure out what really made the most sense. And I, and I think no matter what, you know, walk of life you come from, you, you'll soon realize that the 401k is not all cracked up. It's not cracked up to be what, what they say. Yeah. Um, just That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so I really started trying to find what we could possibly do to really help uh, people as they gear up towards retirement. And I don't care what age they are, we need to be looking forward. And so um, we got into this cryptocurrency space. First, it was introduced to us by some friends of ours who were mining on their computers, on their on their laptops, by the way. So that tells you a little bit how early it was. Yeah. Um, and, and we thought we were these highfalutin uh, financial advisors that did not need that. Like, what is this funny money on the internet? So we never thought anything about it. So. I currently have that very um, mining computer here to remind me never to miss an opportunity. Wow. Um, cause no, Take a picture cause, of it later if you can. Yeah, one of one of them is actually on a yacht living, and the other one just added thirty five hundred square feet to his house um, wow. here in Los Angeles. So, and they're they're loving life, wow. right? So that was our first introduction. Second introduction, I was a smart financial advisor. I can do this Bitcoin thing by myself. So I got involved, bought Bitcoin on Mt. Gox, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me how to go and program and have my own wallet because a lot of this information wasn't there. Right. Left it on the exchange. You know what happened? And then in 2017, someone else introduced it to me again. Um, and I opened my eyes and ears to what they were saying. And it's just been game on since that day. Wow. So this came to you like in layers, like maybe over the course of like 10 years. So yeah. more or less, right? Yeah. So I have a question, you know, especially because you have a financial services background. Why are banks, you know, whether they're, you know, the, the larger or smaller local banks, why are things like 401ks? still more or less being pushed because i find it ridiculous now nobody's making money in fact more often you're losing money from 401ks especially with the way 
things that have just been happening over the past few years. Yes. Yeah, so you need the truth, truth, and nothing but the truth. That's and right. That, that truth is the fact that they get constant money from you utilizing those services. So I right. tell everybody all the time in this cryptocurrency space exactly this. The reason your financial advisor or banker is not telling you about Bitcoin is because they no longer get a piece of the pie. As right. a ex-financial advisor, every day of my life right now today, and I haven't even been in, the, in that system and in that space for the last five years, I still get a direct deposit from a policy that I sold, a 401k or a per public retirement system uh, account that I set up because we get what's called trails and renewals. So as long as someone is paying into that, the agent that signed you up for it is still getting commission today. Think right. about it. If they get you into Bitcoin, right. they're totally out of that equation. And so that's why they're not pushing this because it's not beneficial to their organization nor those individuals that are working for them that are, are all on commission. Right. And by the way, especially coming from a financial advisor background as yourself, you know, I would imagine like many people in your shoes be like easy, like, oh, you know what? Why don't I just keep doing this? Essentially, um, you know, offer traditional financial products and keep receiving, let's say, you know, these uh, you could say distributions from, you know, policy owners and stuff like that. Yeah. What made you want to switch into, let's say, blockchain and cryptocurrency, knowing that that's a much riskier unknown space. Well, I would say yes and no. So there's two parts to that. So what made me want to get involved in it is I actually had a conscious and really start feeling bad a long time before I got into Bitcoin, but I didn't think that there were any other options. So sitting across the table from families that I would have to look in the face and say, you're going to be able to retire at 65 and a half. When the truth is, you probably won't be able to retire till 95, but that's what the company that I work for tells me to say. And so it, it becomes something that kind of eats at your soul every time you leave uh, out of a house and you're like, you know what? Right, that is just, I mean, this is the best we have to offer, but there's got to be something better. And then I would look and look and look and I didn't find anything. And then when, when I got an epiphany about Bitcoin, I said, that is it. This yeah. is not tied to a system that was designed for the people who put these, this stuff together to win. This is for the people. And so that was where I was just like, I'm done. I'm not going back. I'm going to figure out how to educate our community because we're not winning with these products at all. No way, no how. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, one of the things I was doing when my son was born back in 2017, I wanted to go out and buy treasury bonds, those uh, uh, T-bills and, and things like that. And I went on the, I guess you could say the US Treasury site to do it. And the interest rates were like 1% and under. And these are for like 20, 30 year and up, you know, treasury bonds. And I'm thinking to myself, why the hell would I buy this? Like, this is not even going to keep up with the rate of inflation, much less really give any meaningful, you know, return. So, you know, what you said really resonates greatly with me. And in fact, many people that I know who have come from, you know, um, financial services have said something similar to you. And these are people who've gone on to, you know, the blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFT space. They mentioned kind of the conscience, you know, as aspect of this because, you know, you're in a position to kind of see how the sausage is made, so to say. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, you know, having to tell people that they can retire at 65 where that's otherwise like not the case. I think it's very hard to kind of take yourself and take your emotions out of that. Cause you kind of feel yeah. a little responsible. That's what people have told, have told me anyway. So I yeah. think that's, I think that's a very great, you could say revelation you had. So when you put, to, when you put together the crypto blockchain plug, you know, obviously education is very important. And from what we're seeing right now, it seems like cryptocurrency and blockchain is really like one of the few things that's actually providing people with upward mobility, so yeah. to say. You know, it's not kind of like this. Um, I don't know if it's like this country club, good old boys club type structure on Wall Street, where it's essentially the same players who kind of get the golden parachutes and the windfalls, no matter how good or bad things are. You know, I look at cryptocurrency, you see people coming out of nowhere, becoming very like, you know, prosperous in this space. And I think for many, myself included, it's very promising, you know, yeah. and hopeful. So 
when you wanted to educate about this, where did you start? Like, because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Bitcoin, is this like a money laundering tool? Is this a scam? Is this going to, you know, take my information away or, you know, things like that? So my situation has been a little bit different. Um, so where I started was at home, meaning I started in my neighborhood. Um, because when I looked at the space and I, I really got engulfed in the space, I really started to understand that there weren't people that looked like me that were explaining it. And yeah. those that were, were few and far between. And that uh, just based on my financial services background, I realized that if I didn't do something quickly, we were going to be in a class of people that would be left behind forever. So my mission became greater than my monetization. And I'll just be quite honest. I love that. Mission over monetization. I, I like yeah. that. Anyway. My mission yeah, became greater than that. And so uh, my husband and I took our regular financial services office, which is where we are right now. We renovated it because what I did realize is the places and spaces that I was going to that had to do with crypto were very upscale and nice. And so yeah. I said, well, if we're going to attract people to come and buy Bitcoin from us, we've got to renovate. So we took our regular financial services office and uh, we turned this into a Bitcoin space. Like there's not, I mean, we have Bitcoin pillows, uh, rugs, pictures. I mean, everything. Right, I, I saw it a moment ago. Yeah. White paper is on the wall. We got the first Bitcoin mag. So we went all out to make sure that this was a Bitcoin um, blockchain friendly space where the community can come in and start to understand. But that was the challenge. So the challenge was you have a building now, you sell Bitcoin, you're in a community that does not know that you actually need the services that you're offering. So now how do you charge them and they don't know that they need your service because they don't know anything about Bitcoin. Right. So we changed our business model immediately to encompass all things education. So I started doing events like Wine Women in Crypto, On the Block, which is explaining different aspects of the blockchain, Coinonomics, even though Bitcoin is our staple, yeah. we needed to start to have a conversation about the BS coins that are out there. Right. So why is this a BS coin? Because this is the owner who's got 50 failed things, this is the way, you know, That's all those look for, yeah. educate, uh, not just say, oh, you don't like Bitcoin. So we're just, you're just done. So yeah, we've taken yeah. a different approach to our community because we cannot fight fire with fire. We've got to fight fire with kindness and education. So um, I do that. I do a crypto kids camp for children ages five through 17. Um, we have something called Freedom Friday which every last Friday of the month, we show a Bitcoin movie, have free beer, free popcorn, nice. all of these things just to really meet people where they are. So wherever our community is, we realize we've got to meet them there. So if we do Bitcoin and barbershop. We do Bitcoin and beauty shop. I do cigars and crypto. So I pop up at cigar lounges in the area. Sign me up. This sounds like a lot. I do all those types of things just to make sure out there. <laughs> that we meet folks again where they are and and, and, and really right. make it where they can ask the questions. No question is a stupid question. You right. know, a lot of times in this Bitcoin space, we find so many people that are condescending and like yeah. they pretentious. Yeah. And it, it's irritating, but you don't find that with us because how else are people going to learn if they, don't, if they let their guard down and they're comfortable and they ask the questions, then that's when you can get people to start to respond. And I think we've done quite well. At that, on that respect, not yeah. financially, again, not monetizing. Um, Education-wise, we've done great. And so um, we've, we've used a lot of our own dollars, um, a lot of our own Bitcoin over the last couple of years, especially during COVID, to keep all of our employees. Um, but, I, you know, this is, this is just really all about the community and what we can do if we really buckle down, focus, and people understand that Bitcoin is the most important and then if they choose to dibble and dabble in other things, they have to have the purpose they're doing it. And, right. um, you know, I tell everybody I hold Ethereum. Absolutely, I do. I don't hold it for the value. I personally hold it. So if I want to buy an NFT piece of art because I want to support right. somebody, I'm able to do that for the purpose. I'm not 
thinking that next year I'm going to get $10 million for this painting or this, this picture that I just bought, you know, this NFT, because I understand that there may or not, may not be a secondary market. So I'm teaching people for a price. You got Bitcoin for a purpose. You got all this other stuff you choose to do. That's a good way of putting just, like it, yeah. loan, just like loaning money to your cousin. All this <laughs> other stuff is loaning money to your cousin. They may or may not pay you back. Right. <laughs> so just know that going in and you're good. But when you get Bitcoin, expect for this value to increase over time. Not right away. We're not trying to get rich quick. We are trying to put together something so that we have some uh, financial freedom in the very near future. And our retirement is copacetic. That's what we're doing. Well said. I like that. And just for some additional context, can you tell everybody where you're based out of? So right now I'm in Los Angeles, California, which is Inglewood, where the new Ram Stadium is. Yeah. Um, and we're in the process right now. I'm just finishing up to start pitching. We're opening 41 locations across the United States. Awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. And when you first started this business, the community that you first started educating, was that in Englewood? Yeah, was in Inglewood. Real what was that like? What was oh, that like at first? It's like standing in the middle of the street and screaming, there's this Bitcoin thing you all need to hear about. And they're like, what? Why do I need yeah. that? Money does just fine. And I hear people say, if I can't fold it up and put it in my pocket, I don't want to hear what you have to say. So yeah. that's that's um, that's how this thing started for us. But it's slowly coming around. So I'll tell you, for instance, Yes, I, drive a, I drive a Bitcoin bug, a beetle, that has oh, wow. the words, why buy Bitcoin, and a phone number. When I'm in my community, usually, I drive my little bug. Nobody pays any attention to me. They look at me, and they're like, mm, she's weird. I go on the other side of town, and gentlemen like yourself, are, they're jumping off curves. They're making U-turns in the street. Street. They're screaming. They're blowing their horn. They're like Bitcoin. <laughs> and then I come over here and it's crickets. Well, you know, you know, it's funny because that was actually me who passed you that one time. So <laughs> yes. And so and so now that Crypto.com is at the Staples Center. Yeah. The community is waking up and people are like, they got their cell phone out there like. Yeah. It's a whole different feel. So I feel like we're growing into this thing we set up. And finally, people are starting to say, okay, I need to figure out what this Bitcoin thing is. Yeah. Yeah. And as a starting point, when you introduce like a module or, you know, a class, um, you know, as listed on your website, what part do you start out with? Like what, what's chapter one in a lot of your teaching? Is it kind of like this general like economics, like finance view of things, or is it more? No, 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 no. This is a watered down version of how in the heck we're on live. So I won't curse. You can't edit it. I curse. So Go why the heck are we here at this place when I have this paper in my pocket that spins just fine? Like, why are we here? What right. is the significance? Like, what's the big deal? So I start with the evolution of money. How did we get to this place? How do we get to cryptocurrency? And then what it mean? What does it mean to, to, to me, the person that's looking listening to this presentation? Because if it doesn't resonate with why this person listening to you should get involved, it just doesn't make any sense because most people are tuned in to W <laughs> to that station. What's in it for me? Right? Well, yeah, what's, so that's, well that's tune. And so I try to go into no matter what I'm doing, I try to go in and make sure that people know what's in it for them and, um, you know, take that route. But evolution of money is first. If you don't understand why cryptocurrency, why Bitcoin, why did, why was it created? Why, who the hell is Satoshi Nakamoto and why should I care that he's anonymous? And well, well there's several reasons you should care that he's anonymous because everybody else in history that has spun up a great idea, and changed a system that has traditionally ruled everything is is dead today. So I think that's yeah. really a good reason for Satoshi Nakamoto 
to stay anonymous. So those are the right. types of things that people need to understand. So we go through all that. And, and you know, speaking of the journey of how we got here, as far as the society and our global financial system, when did you start seeing the writing on the wall for this? Because, uh, you know, it seems like everything from 2020 to current, you know, a lot of people were surprised, some people not so surprised, some people are kind of somewhere in the middle. Did you kind of see the writing on the wall with like the hyperinflation, for instance, and some of these other things? Absolutely. So last year I took a 40, uh, what was it, 41 cities? This year I'm doing 41 cities. I took like a 38 city tour last year going into the poorest neighborhoods in America stating that this was going to happen. The writing is on the wall because um, in our communities, unfortunately, we suffer a lot more than other individuals because no matter what, we have the least amount of money, just keeping it 100, we have the least amount of money, but typically we have the higher prices. Our stores charge us more than they do in suburbia and suburban neighborhoods. And so I told our community that we needed to be knowing that because they're printing so much money, somebody's gonna pay for it and it's gonna be us. It's gonna be in the prices of every single item that we deal with every day, such as your orange juice. It looks like it's a half a gallon, but it's not gonna be a half a gallon. It's gonna be less than a half a gallon. The price is either gonna be the same or higher. Most of the time it's gonna be the same, but they give you less product for the same amount of money and you don't see it because it's subtle and so just really trying to help people educate themselves like that Uh, but i told them it was coming we've been in a camouflage recession for a very long time i like Um, that camouflage recession yes we have been putting it and um there were some other things that happened specifically and and again you know as much as people don't like to admit that communities are different let's just keep it real they are um and i know that strategically during COVID, they made it very easy for people to get their hands on money because they needed them to spend it, to put it back in the economy, to keep things rolling, keep the stock market going, keep all these things rolling. And now that money is dried up and mark my words, it's dried up, it's drying up for those that didn't save. And that is why you're gonna start to see the influx of crimes, not just inner city, but everywhere because money is not, I mean, money, I used to call people COVID millionaires. Like we had COVID millionaires. They were getting payroll protection money. They were getting employment development division money and money was everywhere. People got new cars, TVs were, you know, Christmas one year, I never forget driving down the street in the neighborhood and every trash can had a big, huge 50 inch screen TV box because everybody was shopping. So everybody made money during COVID. The TV, you know, the, the, the people who made the TVs, Walmart, the, the, peop- the people that did the transportation of goods. And so like everybody was getting paid off this money that was printed and distributed in the communities, but they had to get it to the hands of the people that they knew would spend it. And traditionally, unfortunately, a lot of our communities are consumers uh, more than we are spend uh, savers. And it's gonna, it's showing up like big time. So I've been, I've been telling folks for I don't know a year, and now it's finally starting to be like, oh my goodness, she said, save, don't go out and do all this other stuff, because um, Bitcoin is the cheapest it's gonna ever be, like probably, <laughs> you know. So that, that's the message. Right, and and those are all, you know, excellent points you're raising. You know, by the way, speaking of, speaking of communities, you know, you're absolutely right about that. You know. No, there's no one two. There's no two communities that are exactly the same. And in fact, um, you know, many have huge differences in treatment, access to resources, access to opportunities. And it seems to me the financial system here is largely a very historical political type of machine, so to say. And in fact, you know, you can, you know, there's instances of what you're talking about, you know. If we look at, you know, World War II and when the veterans were coming back, you know, the uh, the GI Bill housing loans largely were not offered to a lot of African-American uh, veterans who were coming back either from Germany or from France, you know, the war, the war theater in Europe or, you know, coming back from the theater in the East, you know, from Absolutely. Japan. So, you know, it's, you know, th- there's statistical tangible evidence 
that shows, you know, disparities like that. So even if we're going all the way back to, let's say, 1945, 1946, 1947, that really determines the next generation of so how much yeah. they're going to struggle or not struggle, right. you, know, you know, so to say. And, you know, even in, let's say, New York City and the boroughs, you know, there was the uh, federal housing discrimination cases as well. You know, same thing. A lot of the veterans, a lot of the black African-American veterans who were coming back, they were being denied housing and, you know, areas of like Queens and, you know, parts of, you know, Brooklyn and, and things Everywhere. like that. Right. Everywhere. And so to your point really quickly, let's think about where yeah. most people get their initial wealth from or where they're able to pull equity from initially. Right. And it's their house, right? Right. Yeah. So you got a whole generation or two or three that were unable to participate right. just owning a house economy. so they can get the equity. So it's not that people were lazy at all. It was that there was no access to be able to acquire right. or amass the same type of wealth building opportunities as everybody else in the, in the United States. And it still goes on today. Unfortunately, we don't even have to go back to 1946. Right, right, right now, redlining is still a real thing. Like right. there is literally still a red line on a map that Wells Fargo uses, Chase uses to dictate the interest rates and loans that are able right. to come into those areas. Like it's sickening, it's the 2022, we shouldn't be talking about this, but we right. are. We, right. we, we still are, right? So you're absolutely right. In fact, when I was a kid, you know, I liked a lot of those like cyberpunk and like science fiction movies, whether it was like Blade Runner, like The Fifth Element, and uh, you know, some other ones. And you kind of seen a lot of those movies, a lot of those issues that you and I are talking about, they're kind of more or less over. And you know, not to let's say put it too much on like, well, you know, because everybody's fighting like some sort of alien that wants to destroy the planet, but you know, at least for me, it looks like okay, it looks like we got our shit together, you know. So you know, it, it was, you know, it looked very good. You know, you see like uh, neon lit skylines, flying cars, you know, all this other stuff. I still don't see the flying cars part. So I'm a little disappointed when it, when it, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to that. But like, um, but you know, you are, you're absolutely right. This being 2020, you would think that by now, this should be a non-issue. You know, this yeah. is legit the future. This is like way past the dates of a lot of science fiction movies. This is 2022. So, yeah. you know, and yet we're still, you know, dealing with a lot of this stuff, whether it's like redlining, whether it's, you could say, discriminatory lending from banks, certain lines of credit are offered to certain clients and not to others. You know, yeah. these are things that exist, but they're also, they're also subtle. So it's kind of in a way, I think maybe certain institutions make it a harder thing to attack, but it's one of those things we all know that's there. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's. You know, so it's uh, subtle yes. because when you live it, you think that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you get in the space where you're like, well, wait a minute. That life insurance policy got accepted to my clients in the San Fernando Valley in uh, days, but I'm still fighting to get this insurance policy right. and implement it here with this person who has high blood pressure. But they had high blood pressure. It did like the disparities. It like literally until you sit in the shoes, you're like, well, wait a minute, something's wrong with this. Um, right. This whole picture, and so yeah, it's subtle. But again, when you live in it, you don't, you don't, you just think it's normal. And so right. That, right. That's the issue. And by the way, you know, you added a great point that you know a lot of times, like the first source of wealth for a lot of people is going to be your house, and you know, particularly like the equity that you have in your house. So let's say if we're to use like the post-World War II example, if you're having a certain group of veterans coming back to the war who were, let's say qualified, who are qualified for, let's say the GI, you know, the GI bills and the GI loans, you know, to essentially get very, very generous, generously rated mortgages. Yeah. So you can, you know, move out to the suburbs. Well, if you have one group who's getting that and, and, and another group who's not, these things, are almost like um it's almost like a parasitic effect where it kind of the effects are felt from generation on to generation so you know hard work obviously works but you know what there's so much of life that's out of your control so yeah. if somebody does the same level of hard work in an easier situation you're doing the same level of hard work in a much harder situation i'm sorry you know it's it's going to be harder 
you know, yeah. nine yeah. out of 10 times, unless there's some sort of magic bullet, once in a blue moon kind of good luck scenario that kind of falls in your lap, it's going to be a harder journey. We got the magic bullet. Yes. Bitcoin. Right. And I think that it, it came. Yes. I'm, so, I'm so excited. It came in my lifetime. So, yeah, yeah. because now we have an option. We've never before had an option. And and so and and, and I, I'm going to say this and this is uh, people argue all the time. I don't care if they start black banks. I don't care if they have black um, just black institutions that still have to report to the Federal Reserve Bank. There, it's it's it. So what? It's just it's not going to help because you're still going through that same circle. They yeah, still same to those same people. You so what? You have a, a minority deposit institution. So what? Is you still gotta abide by the the rules that they set up, and right. those rules were not designed for us to to win at all. Um, if you really I mean you your listeners can Google this sixty. Billion with a B dollars was taken in non-sufficient funds from the black and brown community in 2020. That means they wrote a check or they swiped their card. They didn't have the money to pay for the item they were trying to buy. Can you imagine billions of dollars being taken from the community for non-sufficient funds? That's like you just took money from people that didn't have the money in the first place. But yeah, that yeah. money is like sick. And then, you know, and, and nobody, no regulation. So that's why I'm so heavy on Brad Sherman when he says he wants to protect black people from crypto. Well, you didn't protect us from the freaking banks or right. you didn't protect us from redlining. You didn't protect us with credit. You didn't protect us from shit else. So don't come protect me now when I can be self-sovereign. I don't need you to do that. I don't need you to make this a space for accredited investors because I'm not, we, we don't need that either. So that's my stance on this whole deal. Wow. And that's very, very well said. And I, I like the way that you contextualize this. I think some of those institutions would only be just, let's say, lip service for black and brown yeah. communities. So let's say if you have like a minority board owned bank, it's still only an appendage of yeah. really, you could say, the central banking system, yeah. so to say. So at the end of the day, you could say they're taking their marching orders from that, not their clients in the actual oh, community. They have to take marching right. orders. Well, they have yes. To. Yeah. Are they are they shut down their charter? Period. Yeah. It's no other way. So, but we but we have an option now. So um, yeah. I'm just excited. I just you know, mass adoption has to happen. We know that we still need banks. We got to pay our mortgages and our car notes. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, I had a conversation yesterday with PNC, PNC, okay. the bank. Yeah. Um, they basically told me that I cannot hold an account with them if I teach cryptocurrency. They're still doing the same BS. Oh, so we are, yes. So the only banks that we can, um, that's, that's a whole nother show. We can talk. That's we a have, have a follow-up episode on that too. Yeah. I definitely want we, it. I can tell you banks are rocking with cryptocurrency, which ones are not. Chase just claimed that they are not allowing their clients to buy and sell crypto. 95% of these banks, I'm going to say 98, are not. They shut down clients' bank accounts all the time when they find out that they're doing business with us. They just shut their accounts down, shut ours down. It's, just, it's, it's ridiculous. So... So only three banks right now that we can actually rock with. One of them requires me to be a resident of their state. So that's a no-go. Um, Silvergate wants me to have a million dollars a day balance. That's a no-go. Like an accredited investor, like like something on that level, right? I'm starting a business. I'm a small business. How in the right. hell am I going to put a million dollars and hold it in the bank? And then if I borrow that money, that means I'm borrowing money to hold in your bank. That I'm paying yeah. somebody like it's ridiculous. So and then like the other, I, yeah. the other one is signature, and we still not been. I've been open three years. I know this yeah. is not yeah. about this, but I've been no, open. No, please talk about years. it. I've been through every single bank you can name. We've had to be creative because in order to to deal in the United States, I got 19 employees. I got to pay employees like, and right. all of them can't accept Bitcoin. Some of them do, but all of them can't. 
We're not at the mass adoption. They can't pay their rent in Bitcoin. My tenants can pay me rent, but you know, a lot of their landlords don't. So you still need banks right now. Right. Um, so yeah, I can give you a whole hour on what we've been dealing with with banks. As of yesterday, I had a whole nother conversation, which is ridiculous. So yeah, well, I would imagine in a true democratic system that should not be the case. Uh, I think the freedom to the freedom to bank, the freedom to, you know, let's say participate in commerce. I think unless you're doing anything like illegal or damaging to the public, I mean, there really shouldn't be red tape for you to access your own money or for you to further, you know, grow, grow your own business. It shouldn't, but you know, there is. And again, yeah. that's them getting cut out just like Western union MoneyGram. They are hell bent on keeping people in that system because they have made billions of dollars just trying to get the regular everyday person's money for them to send it back home to Mexico or send it back home to wherever they're sending it. Right. Um, those are folks that are just barely making it and you're taking 10% of their money to pay a bill and 10% of their money to send money back. Yeah, it's, just, it's a whole system that has to be revamped. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I am definitely here for it. Cause it's going to happen as long as I can have my breath in my body. <laughs> I love I know. it. <laughs> yes. So, you know, it looks to me, and I think a lot of people would feel like this. It's kind of like a group of people just putting their fingers on the scale whenever it suits them, given whatever, you know, whatever's going on at the time. And it really seems like it's, uh, it's almost built to create a class where it's a class that you really can't get out of. So it's almost like we're in a situation as to whatever you're born into, that's your lane and you got to stay there. And, you know, if you speak with any immigrant who's ever come here, the whole beauty of, let's say, this country is upward mobility, the ability to earn as much as you can with your talents and your and your work ethic. And now in 2022, it seems like everything is is moving towards a situation where this is who you are your destiny is written in stone based on based on your ethnicity based on where you live based on you know your parents income you know based on you know all these you know different things and i thought isn't the whole purpose of let's say this experiment the united states isn't the whole purpose to actually move forward jump out of your class jump out of your lane you know you know, you know Go, you know, go, you know, go for it, you know, punch above your weight. Well, you know what? There are some outliers. I will say that there are outliers that have had a bad situation and, and, and they become millionaires or billionaires for that matter. There are yeah. outliers, but something yeah. else that people never, ever talk about. And we watch it happen all the time in our neighborhood. We will go and I'm talking about African-Americans. We will go and apply for a loan to open a store in our own community. We won't get that loan. But the reason why the Koreans and several other individuals that have stores and different things like bodegas and all those things in our community is because they get loans because they're immigrants and they come over here. There's special money that they can apply for and get. But because we're native to this country, we don't get those same things. So people are like, um, and, and we, I've had this conversation with so many people, so many store owners. Well, like, why, you know, why are the Koreans doing nails and why are there not more black owned? Because we couldn't get the loans to get that done, but they were able to, because they come from another country, tap yeah. into a pool of money that we didn't have access to. And that is why, and, and I mean, it's just all over the country. It's the same right. song everywhere. You look at a grocery store, you look at all the things that other people are able to come in here and do, they're immigrants because they have that additional opportunity. And so unless you're an immigrant or unless you're born, as you said, where your parents are giving you a house when you get married or they're giving you, our, our uncle Joe dies and leaves $2 million in a life insurance policy for his, his nephews, nieces and nephews like, there's just so many different things that people don't really pay attention to because again, we're all just kind of going in our own space, not really paying attention to why things are the way they are. And I think I've been blessed to be able to, to see both sides of the coins 
I lived in um, South Central Los Angeles, which is considered the hood. But my mother was a LA Unified School District teacher. My dad worked for aerospace division. But what they did do was understand that the education here was different because we got the leftover books. We got one telescope for 30 kids. Whereas when you're bused to the San Fernando Valley, which I was, every child has a telescope in science. We have brand new books. Those books get used, written up and torn up, and then they send them inner city because the funding is. So it's just this whole reciprocal thing that people don't even understand. But I was blessed that my mom was a teacher and she knew the difference. So she made it. She made sure that I got the best education. So I got to see parents that had fabulous jobs struggle in a house in the hood. The same families in the San Fernando Valley, same jobs. Right. Beautiful house, beautiful cars. And I started seeing the disparities early because I started saying, how is that that your mom's a teacher and my mom's a teacher and your dad is it and my dad works for aerospace and they're like barely putting ends together because things cost more in our in our neighborhoods. And, and, and I just started learning a whole lot of different things early on since kindergarten. I was bused to the valley. No joke. So I saw a whole lot of differences. Um, and not that I was treated bad. You saw really the whole spectrum oh, of I saw life whole experience thing. of people in California just from, let's say, that bus ride to and believe, from school. Believe it or not, Adam, I was a child in kindergarten in Northridge, California that when my bus arrived in Northridge, the parents picketed. They did not want us to come to- In Stag California. Stag Street Elementary. And I, I Google it. I will. When, when they started busing children from the inner city to the valley, they picketed us. We had police escorts to and from the freeway right here in Northridge, California. Uh, from the time I was in kindergarten to the first grade, it started kind of tapering off. But the problem with that was the parents, the kids initially were fine. But if you think about that, if you see your parents picketing and hating the kids, yeah. so kids that's so we we grew up with that tension um, because the kids started emulating what they were hearing the parents saying and doing. Right. So those sorts of things happen. So I, and, but I'm really grateful, you know, that my mom said, Oh no, you're going to stick it out. Police are going to protect you. Right. You know, you don't have to worry about I me. Mean, we would get eggs thrown at the bus and sticks and you know, all that stuff. But believe it or not, that happened right here in Southern California. Wow. And just for some context, what year was this or what years? 19, well, I'm, I'm actually 50. I'm 50. So this oh. was in 1975 when I was bused to uh, Stack Street Elementary in Northridge, California. So, yep, I'm 50. In 1975. Well, I'm 52. Pick it in. Yeah, in. So in case anybody's doing their math, I'll be right. 52 in July, but yeah, 75. Wow, that that is that is beyond shameful. And you know, and unfortunately, you know, when it comes to stuff like that, whether it's you know bigotry and parents who end up you know creating racist kids, and you know, most of the time it seems like a lot of that is a product of shitty parenting because that's probably that is inevitably where kids first learn that stuff, whether it's from their yeah. parents or the or, or their or their relatives, and you know. You know, shame on those parents too. I mean, those are still kids going yeah. to and from school. Those are children. That somebody's son or daughter, you know, trying to, you know, trying to just go to school, be left alone, do their thing, and you know, do well for themselves. So yeah. yeah. You know. And I have a question too. So you you mentioned an interesting point before. And by the way, this also historically exists up in the Northeast. So if you're talking about, you know, New York, the boroughs, and you know, parts of uh let's say Northern New Jersey, you know, uh, there is, let's say a history as well, where let's say in black neighborhoods, many of the stores are not owned by black entrepreneurs. And let's say often they're owned by, by different immigrant groups, you know, and for instance, um, Koreans, could you, um, you know, it, it seems like something that is, you know, equally shared to, to and from whether it's New York or the West coast. So based on, you know, from what you're saying, 
So if two people apply for the same loan in a very, you know, for the same type of business space, let's say it's in like a mini mall. And let's say mm -hmm. most of those spaces are built pretty much the same, you know, equal access to like sunlight and, and the view. So if an African-American entrepreneur goes there looking for, let's say, a $100,000 line of credit just to kind of get things going, let's say a different family or group of entrepreneurs go there. They could either be from, they could be from South Korea, they could be from Pakistan, they could be from wherever. But let's just say for this example, they are immigrants. Pretty much the, the latter example of, let's say, the immigrant group will... Mm -hmm more often than not, maybe something closer to greater than seven out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. They're going we'll to be granted. Absolutely. They're going to be Absolutely. granted that loan. And we've done so many studies. I will tell you, we've done, I mean, there have been so many studies where even just the, the basic things of renting an apartment, they would send an African-American male in yeah. to get an apartment. Then they send a Caucasian male in to get an apartment. Same apartment that wasn't available gets rented. Um, yeah. There's been cases where, you know, they've changed the pictures on the wall in the house when an appraisal is being done. They'll get a high appraisal and then they'll put the regular pictures back up of the black family and the appraiser appraisal is $100,000 lower. All of those things eat away at our wealth. And right. so, and, and I'm talking, this is just, that study was just done in 2021 at the end of 2021. Um, where they changed out the pictures in a house to get a better appraisal amount. And then they, you know, waited a minute, like the house was sold, and then they put up black pictures, and then they got a hundred dollar thousand dollars less valuation. That is that's that's family wealth right there. That is right. equity in a property. And so we've really gotta, you know, I know we don't want to turn this whole thing into, but we really gotta turn this thing around. And I, I really feel like um we have that opportunity to do that finally. Right. Finally. Well, you know what? The, the next point I want to raise um, kind of dovetails off of what you're saying. So on average, the highest volume of cryptocurrency transactions moves through continental Africa. So I'm talking about Central and Southern Africa. So you know, mm -hmm. countries, whether it's, you know, whether it's Senegal, whether it's Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa itself, you know, Botswana, like all these countries. So Collectively, Central and South Africa, the highest of, I guess you could say, cryptocurrency volume being transacted, bought and sold, goes through that region of the world greater than anywhere else. And I think following that is actually Eastern Europe. So I've had guests, entrepreneurs from both regions, and I asked, why is that the case? And I've gotten a very similar answer, is that a lot of times people either don't trust banks because in times of crisis, banks... Keep the keep your money and don't let you get it. And also, there's no infrastructure. These are unbanked areas. So a lot of those, you know, traditional banks that we all know, you know, so to say, that we'll you know see on TV and see in brochures, they just simply don't exist, or people don't really have convenient access uh, to that banking system. So when I've had like different entrepreneurs come on for both, let's say Eastern Europe and parts of Central in you know South Africa, people have actually been using cryptocurrency in you could say everyday situations like buying groceries buying gasoline you know buying your necessities because it's with kind of those survival instincts or wisdom you know in mind so you know if you look at el salvador and how they kind of hopped onto you know using bitcoin as legal tender if we're to look at this situation another way areas of the world that are let's say second and third world they're going to have an easier time transitioning and pivoting towards a decentralized banking world, which I think inevitably we're going to end up reaching versus, let's say, the traditional first world. So if you think of Canada, United States, United Kingdom, you know, Western Europe, because I think in, let's say, our country and the traditional first world, I would imagine the banking structures are going to do their best to at least stop a lot of that progress or at least do their best to slow it down. And now if we look at, let's say, second and third world countries, they're already using this. And it seemed like people were by default more open to it. You know, I make this joke, but I kind of only mean it like uh, more or less kind of half jokingly. If I was to go outside, let's say, New York City 
um, anywhere. It could be Times Square or anywhere. And if I was to give out like these hardware wallets of Bitcoin, I think like eight or nine out of 10 people wouldn't take it because, oh, is this a scam? Is this going to do something? I already have money. It's in the bank. You know, I don't trust this. It's just digital money. But you look at other areas of the world with different histories. They they hopped on that train immediately. And that is the future. And I think as comfortable as maybe we like to think we have it with, let's say, the, the service economy of big banks, you know, these things are ultimately going to be uh, an obstacle, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're already seeing it. I mean, we have been seeing it for for, you know, many, many years, but now it's a lot more in most people's faces. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I will say this, because I look at those other regions very carefully. Yeah. And we like to think that third world countries are the ones that are unbanked or underbanked. But I also have another stat that states that 65 million people right here in this United States are unbanked or underbanked. Then how do they get involved with Coinbase or Kraken or Gemini? I am it. That is why we're opening 41 locations. Because this building we have, this brick and mortar is needed across the United States because we're not used to, I won't say we're not used to banking. We've been pushed out of banking, but we're using check cashing places. Um, And so we want to replace check cashing with our Bitcoin banks. And that's what we're setting out to do. Closing down some of these places that have taken advantage of us, getting people into holding their own, being their own banks. And again, with that comes with much responsibility, we're gonna have to do a lot of educating. And so I totally understand that. Again, we're here for it. We're gonna make this thing happen. Yeah, because you know, it it kind of ends up being this. When, When there is a situation as kind of a situation in history of like what we're talking about, you know, there's always somebody else who's going to be next on the chopping block. So if let's say some people say this is happening, happening in another part of the country, this is happening in another state, another region happening with different people. It's not my problem. I think what history shows, there is always somebody next on the chopping block. Yep. So, so the fact of the matter is this, we're a lot more interconnected than we like to realize, or, you know, we're a lot more in, interconnected than what we're consciously aware of, so to say. So, you know, like you mentioned, you know, 60 plus million people, even just within the United States being, you know, essentially without underbanked or without access to banking, you know, that is a huge problem, you know, Without a doubt. So we have a population of what, 375 million, somewhere, you know, somewhere around that. And we have 60 million of that. That's not, you know, able to participate in the banking system. You know, that's not. Yeah, they're not able Or there has been something that has transpired, such as they slid a card. They overdrew their account. They didn't have that extra additional $35 to pay back. The account has been closed and now they're on check systems. They can't even get it back. It's just little stuff like that that sends people on a spiral. And it's not that people are lazy or just sitting around, but hell, these jobs don't pay enough for people to even sustain their families. So you may be that mother that needed to buy that loaf of bread on Friday because you knew you get paid on Monday and you overdraw it. So the bread now costs three dollars plus right. five dollars, but at least you got to feed your children Saturday and Sunday. So those are the types of decisions that have to be made in a lot of our communities. And right now, what the gas is six dollars and ninety cents a gallon. People right now are trying to figure out: do they go to work or do they eat? Because if you got to put well, gas in the yeah. car or you got to eat, you got to figure it out. So I think that there's going to be a massive a lot of things. Um, a lot of things that are going to happen in our community specifically that are going to eventually affect other communities that think it's not, it's not, it's, you know, that it's not going to happen to them. It's coming. It's coming for everybody. This is coming for everybody. But what we do know is that the Bitcoin happening is going to happen in 2024 and that we can do as much as we can do right now 
to get ahead of that so that we can have and hold as much Bitcoin as we can before the commercial folks get involved. And then Satoshi's are all we're able to obtain ever because once Satoshi's going to be, you know, this is going to get out of hand. I'm, I'm sure because everything else is failing. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at 2022, what do you and your company have planned for this year? The crypto blockchain plug. What's uh, what's on the agenda? What are some of the things you're looking to accomplish and, you know, um, complete? So the first thing that we're going to do um, starting May 29th, we will be getting a tour bus. We will be traveling across the country to 41 cities, orange pilling the community about Bitcoin. They some of them listened last year, but now maybe their eyes are open a little more. We're going to be giving out Bitcoin on the road, helping people download wallets, making sure that our community is understanding that money is changing and money is changing quickly. And so is technology. And we need to get ahead of this curve uh, that's happening. And so that's that's the biggest thing we're going to do this year. So we're looking for individuals that are open to helping, sponsoring all of those things because we definitely need those things in play. And then when we come back from tour on, uh, we're gone from May the 29th through um, July 13th, again, 41 cities. But when we come back, we're going to launch, uh, changing the name of crypto blockchain plug to the Bitcoin bank. We're gonna start it here. And then we're going to open up all across the US. Wow. Who else is doing that? I don't know. Tour bus, like going around the country like that, like a like a rock band, like doing a world tour. I love it. Yeah, this is this is the Bitcoin world tour. Yeah. Chance. You, as the song says, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. Opportunity comes once in a <laughs> lifetime. Right. <I> know <laughs> you know that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, is that Eminem? Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's uh that's Eminem. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And by the way, please give me a shout if uh you know if you're heading towards you know New York or New Jersey. You know, I certainly are. like okay. It's on our it's on our list. If you go to uh the DFR stands for digital financial revolution tour. So the dfrtour.com. You will see when we come to New York. And in fact, in New York, right. Variety, Variety Magazine is meeting us in New York. Wow. For this event. That so, is awesome. Yeah, we're excited about New York. I'm doing some other things in New York that y'all are gonna have to stay tuned for. It's really big. But yeah. we, we we gotta we gotta make it's gonna it's gonna be a big big deal. So we're excited about. Yeah. It. Is there anything you want to like you know uh, you know, share about it now? Maybe some little teaser or like a little like hint of so it. Or teaser yeah. is um, there are some famous folks that want to orange peel a large group of people in New York, and <laughs> we are going to make sure that they learn everything they need to about this little thing called Bitcoin. We're not going to be chill, no shilling coins. We're not going to be talking about anything <laughs> else other than Bitcoin because this these people are Bitcoin fundamentalists. Yeah. And we're going to educate some, we're going to educate New York on Bitcoin. Oh, well, I, I'd imagine, uh, I'd imagine Wall Street's probably going to feel a little nervous for that event. <laughs> so to say. Nervous. They need yeah. to get nervous. We're going to yeah, talk. But- Bitcoin bets get nervous. Yeah, I, well, I would imagine some of the suits, you know, walk, walking up and down Fifth Avenue or Madison or around the Wall Street Bull, they're probably going to want to, <laughs> probably going to want to walk the other way. But that I'm might gonna, also be because uh, they know deep down inside. I'm, really. I'm going to slap a, a Bitcoin sticker on the backside of the of the bull. Pow! Oh. <laughs> I'm waiting. Wow. Talk about, I'll I'll tell you this, that will go viral instantly because everybody sees that. A Bitcoin on his butt. Right on the bull. Right on the bull. (laughs) 
that is that is awesome. Well, listen, as we get closer, you know, um, you know, to that, and when you're, you know, coming to, you know, New York or New Jersey, um, please let me know. And uh, you know, if there's anything I can do, you know, you know, get involved or or help out. I think it's come speak, come speak, come say a few oh. words to the crowd. That yeah, would be I'd love awesome. To. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, and um, listen, around that time, if you want to do like a follow-up episode to this, maybe even in person, if that's convenient, um, yeah, I'd, be, I'd be more than happy to do that too because that's this is really where it all starts. This is how you create mass adoption. And I think this, if you're an American, regardless of where you are, if you're comfortable or if you're numb to the fact that there's other people in sizable populations in this country really going through shit in a living hell right now, um, don't rest easy. You know, if we're to look at our country, it is like the human body. You know, if, yeah. if, if the rest of the body is healthy and then some part of the body is open, filled with gashes and infections and gangrene, that is going to change the overall entire function of that body. So if you have like a gangrenous, rotting leg, but oh yeah, the, 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 the health of the rest of your body is okay. Anytime you walk, anytime you move, anytime you eat, Anytime you think, anytime you sleep, you're going to feel that. You know, I think we all have a vested interest in each other's success. And I think blockchain and cryptocurrency is one of those places where, A, it's apolitical. It's not really at the mercy or the control of a third party. So if you want to go for it, if you want to punch above your weight and fight for your dream and fight for what you want to do with your life, like, this is going to be the most fair yeah. to do it yeah. regardless of who you are any anywhere yeah. on the planet you know if you really want let's say a fair game where you bring your best you bring yeah. your experience and your talents then this is the space to do it yes yeah. this, this is really the space to kind of reveal to yourself who you are go for it and see how far you can you can take it because yeah. listen, it doesn't do anybody good to play in a rigged game you know it it, it doesn't and it's and if it continues the way it is, it's really just going to be the same. It's really just going to be the same people who are going to be, you know, you know, charting their yacht and, you know, somewhere in the Long Island Sound and, you know, kind of, you know, let them be cake type of attitude while everybody else is either at each other's throats or just trying to survive. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. I 100 percent agree. Yeah. I mean, listen, I am very excited, Naja, for, you know, your project with Crypto Blockchain Plug. And I guess you could say the next you know, I guess the next transformation of what it's going to be, you know, I love the idea of, you know, kind of the, the sticker on, on the Wall Street bull. I, I think that will be a very poignant statement, you know, to say the least. And who knows, maybe it's going to become a Bitcoin bull or it's going to become something else, some sort of other crypto, uh, you, you know, type, <laughs> type of animal, I suppose. Because I think right now um, there's almost no way to hide the malfeasance, the, the corruption, or just almost the intentional sabotaging, you know, of, of, you know, what's, what's going on right now there, you know, it's out in the open, you know, yeah. and it's not even really being hidden all that well anymore. And people, um, people are still suffering even more so than ever. And really, you know, a grassroots go into your hometown, go into your town and doing this on a tour bus. I mean, this is stuff that like, you know, this is stuff that like Prince would do. This is stuff like Motley Crue would do. Like you go on a tour bus and you show up to that person's town, you know, uh, you're always going to draw a crowd. You know, you're always going to get, you know, get the message out there as far as, you know, what you're doing. And, you know, I, I like music and I actually, I play, uh, I have an electric guitar that I play. So I love, you know, the history of music and things like that. So when you said tour bus, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking like Earth, Wind and Fire from like the late seventies to early eighties. I'm thinking Prince, you know, from, from Purple Rain, I'm thinking like a whole, a whole list of great artists. That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Well, listen, Naja, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I am very excited. And I think this business model and this philosophy and this mission, this is what's needed. You know, um, sometimes, you know, people want to help themselves and people really do want to work their ass off or as they say, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but they kind of need to see what direction to go in. And, right. you know, and if it's completely dark and, and morbid and obscure around you, you're not going to see that. And, you know, sometimes, you know what, going to, going to somebody's home, going to somebody's town 
is really exactly what's needed. And I think by doing these things, you're going to kind of flip the switch in a lot of people's heads who are, mm -hmm. let's say, struggling. They're trying to figure out where to navigate in the space and they don't otherwise right. know. Sometimes it just really takes that one moment or that one individual or that one yeah. interaction for stuff to make sense for people. So, you know, again, Naja, thank you very much for coming thank on. You. I'm looking forward to this summer and your tour bus <laughs> and the Wall Street Bowl. <laughs> you, bring that, you bring that guitar out and come play a song for us. <laughs> All right, yeah. I got my amp right here and yeah, I got, I got my equipment. So you that let me works. know. That'll work. You'll be getting the email shortly because I'm putting you on the, the runner's show. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, yes, keep me posted. I'll stay tuned. Uh, I'll let, you know, I'll let the viewers know as far as when more updates come. And okay. uh, if there's anything you want me to specifically let people know, uh, I'll be sure to do that. Okay. And I appreciate you. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure having you on. Had a great time. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye. you. Take care. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.